0: Please do this when you're making these recruitments, do not minimize the ask. Don't say, oh, it doesn't take a whole lot. You just meet once every other month and all that kind of stuff. No, you tell them what they're getting into, because I will tell you, if you minimize the ask, that's what you're gonna get.
1: And welcome to the CCDA podcast. In today's episode, how to build the engaged board your organization needs. Hosted by Jonathan Haskell, Matthew Best, and Daniel Watson. Take it from the 2021 CCDA conference. We join their session in progress.
2: Uh, good afternoon, everyone. We hope that you are okay. We hope that you are, are fed, that you are satisfied. If not, feel free to keep eating and, and, and everything. We are okay with that. Um, welcome to our workshop. My name is Matthew Best. I am from Knoxville, Tennessee. All of us are from Knoxville, Tennessee. I work at Johnson University, where I do two pretty cool things. I am the director of the Future Hope Institute at Johnson University. It is a youth theology institute where we teach high school kids about faith and justice. And I'm also the Director of Multicultural Student Affairs at Johnson University. So it's a pleasure to be with you all. I'll be back with you here in just a moment.
3: Hey, everybody. My name is Jonathan Haskell. I'm the executive director of Yoke Youth Ministries. Uh, Yoke has been around the Knoxville area for almost 50 years. We've got volunteer mentors doing after-school programming at 31 middle schools in six counties. Uh, I also serve as the local connector for the Knoxville Local Network, uh, which uh, is just a lot of fun. We were explaining to someone how uh, we all do different jobs, but... Uh, Kind of becoming an official local network for CCDA was was just a formality. It kind of formalized what we were already doing in relationship with each other. So a lot of, a lot of blurred lines in our ministries and work together in, in the neighborhoods. Um, I want to point out, before I hand over to Daniel, um, uh, Daniel and I have been working this process for uh, quite a few years. I've, I've been using it for five years with my organization. Daniel's been using it for closer to 10. Um, when I took over with Yoke, we had six board members. All six were white. Uh, Five were male. One was female. The female was related to one of the staff members, which is a whole other story. Um, Two of those guys had been serving on the board for more than 20 years. Uh, so all of this was in opposition to the, the bylaws, uh, that the company had, the organization had established. They just had gotten to a place where they were stuck. And, uh, so the, one of the first things we did, we started implementing this program. Now, five years later, I've got a board of 14, um, the, the, the last original board member just rotated off this year. Uh, we've got of those 14, probably, uh, six are female. We've probably got, uh, six or seven African Americans, and we've got three under the age of 30. Uh, So we've got some good ethnic, we're not where we want to be yet, but we've got some good ethnic, gender, and age diversity. And um, excited to share this this uh, model with you. It's a very technical, very specific model that we're going to be sharing with you. I don't expect anyone to walk away today having mastered it. Uh, what we're doing, hoping to do is to introduce it to you. And then uh, Daniel and I both were happy for you to take our information. Happy to talk to any of you on the phone or email. Uh, we could even talk about uh, uh, maybe an in-person visit or a Zoom uh, any way that we can help you kind of begin to uh, use this process in your own ministries, we'd be happy to do that. Uh, I wish more than anything that we had time to go around the room. I'd love to hear where you guys are in your board. I heard a comment here. She's having her first board meeting. December 2nd so that uh, I'd love to hear where all of you are we don't have time to do that today but um, we want to share with you what this process has done for us and for our organizations and then help you implement that if possible. Yeah, Thanks Jonathan
0: yeah so I'm Daniel Watson I am the uh, they wanted to invite uh, make sure they had a, a short bald white guy to come with them so since they got all the height and the hair and all that on the looks and all that kind of stuff uh, so I'm thrilled to be with you all. Um, my wife and I started an organization 14 years ago called the Restoration House in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, we work with um, mother-led families. We walk with them in community and have developed a neighborhood and do social capital work and family advocacy and um, youth development work through a partner called em- Emerald Youth Foundation. And. I do a lot of nonprofit consulting, and one of the reasons why I do that is because um, as a person that is trying to be kingdom first, I know that none of us in this room lack for passion. Um, I mean, I'm making that strong assumption that none of us do. Uh, But we also, what I fundamentally believe is that to the degree that we can run really Um, well-oiled organizations that will maximize our impact. And the reality is none of us got into this work to do board development. I don't think, right? None of y'all got into this work to do board development. Um, But as a person who started an organization, and my wife and I have never been on our board, we've never had a single vote in the organization. The reason we did that is because we want this work to way outlive us. Well, the only way that will happen is to the degree that our board can carry it on, right? Um, And so that's why I think this type of process is so extremely, extremely important. I'm also uh, just finished my first year um, as an elected city or uh, elected school board member. Uh, we got about 60,000 students in our system and 89 schools. So pray for me, y'all, because if y'all been tracking with school boards, it's a hot mess out there right now. And I will tell you, school boards have no interest in doing anything like this. <laughs> There's no interest right now. It doesn't seem like in good governance and putting kids first. Um, so so hopefully you all can um not do some things some of our school boards are across the country and implement a good process to really center uh, the people that you're coming alongside. So it's an honor to be with you, and we're going to talk just real quickly about the objectives that we want to make sure that you all leave with. We want you to gain an understanding, first and foremost, of board development. Um, I know John and I believe that it's – it's the thing that you really, as a, if you're a leader of an organization, executive director, CEO, that kind of thing, it's one of those things that you really need to wake up kind of every day thinking about. It's not one of those things you get to check out of. Board development is central. Um, we want you to gain an understanding of some of those myths in, around board development. Matthew's going to take you through through some of that. Uh, there's a lot of myths that are flying around out there. And we want you to learn a proven model. So, John mentioned that he's, his group's been doing this for about five years. Mine's been doing it about 10. There's probably 15 at least other organizations in Knoxville who use this process. It's become kind of a best practice model in our community. Um, and so it's a process, one of many. So glean the things that you can. And um, like Jonathan said at the very end, We're going to give you a QR code that's going to give you all the detail and links and, I mean, everything that you could possibly want or imagine to be able to implement the process in your setting. So there's a program in Knoxville at the University of Tennessee called the Consortium for Social Enterprise Effectiveness, which is way too long of a name, Uh, but that's been going on for about 10 years. They even teach this model now um, through the University of Tennessee, and it's something that we've kind of, you know, been bringing up. So, yeah.
2: Thanks, Daniel grab my countdown clock. I'm officially the timekeeper. So I'm the it's weird when the black preacher's the one keeping the white folks from talking too long. Anyway anyway. So uh yeah thank you. All right so quick question because we do want to be a little bit interactive here. We want to talk. We want to hear from you guys. I do want to start with this question. When you hear the words board of directors, what do you hear? And just yell at me, holler at me, talk to me. What do you think about when you hear the phrase the term board of directors? Control. Who said? Somebody said. Old old people. Okay. And and So you said stale, male. What was the other one? (laughs) I I will be stealing that one for sure. Uh, Somebody else. Yes, ma'am. You said tired volunteers. Somebody said money. Money. Okay. Other. Somebody else. What else do we think about when you're board of directors? You said what? Our Our boss. Okay. College clubs or organizations. Okay, awesome. You can tell you're young. Um, but it's good. You should be thinking that way. He said college clubs and, volunt- and organizations. I said yes, but that's good. Say it again. Power. Okay, yeah. So the board of directors, it, it engenders all these thoughts. Some of what you shared was negative, but I think sometimes board of directors brings up for us, it's the work that we don't really want to do. Right. We think so much about the program being the program and the board of directors being just a necessary evil. But I'm hopeful that after this presentation, after you go through this process, you'll realize that it doesn't have to be that. Right. There's ways that you can do it. There's ways we can talk about There's ways we can focus on building the structural part of our organizations that does not have to make this tedium or a necessary evil. Okay. One, one more question for you. When you think about board development, what comes to mind? Is it the exact same words you just said or is it something else? Training. Okay, say more about that. Did y'all hear her in the back? She said it means taking the board and helping to shape it and, and helping to, people to catch the vision and figure out not just the organization, but what are they really here to do. So I, I love that. That's great. Somebody else, when you hear board development, what do you think of? Diversity of experiences, talents, and cultures. How a hand behind you. Okay, awesome. Yes, sir. Expanding influence. Can you add a little bit more to that for me? I love that. I love that. Anybody else? Okay. You're getting ahead of yourself, brother. You're getting ahead of yourself. That's going to come up in a little bit, but that's awesome. That's good. So, yeah, so the biggest thing, like I said, we just don't want you to think of these things as negative things. We don't want you to be sighing when you think about it. We want you to be excited as you think about that next board meeting, and we want you to, be, to think about the opportunities and the possibilities that this process will allow you. But before we get to the process that Jonathan and Daniel are going to so eloquently take you through, we have to uh, we have to address some other things real quick, right? We have to address some myths. And here's a, a big myth. How many of you all have heard the myth of a... A warm body. We just need somebody to fill the spot. Y'all ever struggle with that? Especially when sometimes you have, you don't have always have access to the pool of people just readily available that you want. And you're like, we got to fill this spot. We can't leave this spot open. We got to just find somebody who's willing, right? I think a lot of times, you know, my, a lot of my background is in church ministry and church leadership. And a lot of times, especially if you're in a smaller black church in particular, we just need somebody going to show up. We need the person that's willing to say yes to show up and to do the thing, right? But, you know, fortunately, we don't have to allow the way we do board development to, to be that. So we need to, uh, uh, to, to, to throw away the myth of the warm body. We just need the person. We just need someone that's available. We can do better than that, right? We can, we can think and we can dream beyond that. So let's get past the myth of just having a, a warm body in the spot. The next one, we need to get past the myth that board development happens once a year. Okay, board development has got to be a part of our natural rhythms as we think about our organizations. We think about the spaces that we work in and that we serve in. And, And again, if you change your approach to this, you change your mindset to this. It's a lot easier to tackle this. When you realize that your board are people that are going to be so important to your organization because they're not just raising money, they're not just voting, they're not just making decisions, they're addressing organizational culture, but also, I want you to think of your board of directors as also being people that empower you as either the leader or the staff person. There's ways in which the right board and the relationships that are cultivated there can actually be some of the things that sustain you in your leadership and in your ministry. Your board should not just be a drain on you, but it should be something that adds value to you. And if you work these steps and you work this process, I really think God can use a, can do a lot in these boards to really bless you as a leader or as a staff person. Does that make sense? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Because if we're built to, to live in a relationship, then it makes sense that we should also be blessed by the relationship of the people we work with on our boards. All right. So we also have to think that it can't just happen once a year. If that's who they're going to be, then that means I'm thinking about this constantly. I'm thinking about this regularly. Who I want to be on this board and what we want them to to, to do. Third thing, and you said it back there. The, the one of the myths is we need board members to help us today. Now that can be really tempting when you're dealing with a crisis. Am I right? Crisis a lot of times gets us to be so short-sighted that we don't think about the future and what's coming next. And so we're constantly saying, who do I need right now? You might have a financial deficit that you're thinking about as an organization. Your immediate thing is, I need somebody that can either give money right now or they can raise money right now, right? But that person may not be a great fit for your board long term. They may not help you see what the next phase is. And if you keep doing that, you might end up in the same spot you're in now, 10 years from now, because you keep getting the same board members, right? So we need to think about – we don't just need board members to help us today. We need folks that are going to help us five years from now, ten years from now. right? We need people – for whatever our our rhythms are or our limits are, we need to think that far in advance. We need to think about that person's entire tenure with the board, not just the the here and now. And then finally – a lot of times when we're recruiting members, we kind of recruit members like it's a, like, a, like it's a checklist. We're like, well, we don't have enough of this, so I need to just go get this. And while I am, and you know, I am quite uh, the proponent of affirmative action, those types of things. Sometimes the thinking that's associated with that, especially relates to your boards, can sometimes get you in the wrong spot. You say we just need this, and so you don't actually end up with the right this. Amen, sometimes you end up saying literally, especially if you're a predominantly white organization and you don't have a lot of diversity in terms of ethnic stuff, you will sometimes just take the first black person that expressed interest, or the first black person that said yes says yes, or the first black person that you meet because you might not know any I don't know, no judgment. but it's not about just getting the need or just filling these gaps whether it relates to race it's the same thing whether it relates to occupation right you don't just because y'all don't have an accountant on the board doesn't mean that you need to go get the first accountant that you see right you're going to want to find people that uh, Jonathan's going to talk about people that can fit in multiple boxes and again you want to work the process I uh, I, I coach uh, basketball I coach track for a number of years I was a track athlete in college you can't tell now but I was um, and, and, and I coach basketball and one of the things that's so hard about coaching is getting folks to work the process because all they want to get to is the end result, right? All I want to do is score. All I want to do is jump. All I want to do is run faster. But it's like, no, no, no. I need you to work the process because that's going to last for you. That's going to get you even further than you think right now, right? And so I think the same thing can be true as we're looking at recruiting members. We don't need to look at just Who's missing right now? We need to also be thinking with the long-term in hand, and that's going to ultimately get us to the exact uh, people that we need on our boards. And then finally, this one I think is another huge one. You cannot trust the members you have to be your only real recruitment tool or strategy for your board members. Why is that a problem? Somebody tell me, why do you think there might be a problem if you're just relying on your current board members to recruit new board members? What issues might that create for you? Yes, my, my friend. That's right. That's right. If you got a whole board and all they do is as are older white men like to hunt and fish and they're like hanging out with other board members that hunt and fish, who are they going to recruit to be the new board members when it's time we get a new one, right? And it's not even a, that's not even like a shot at them. That's just who we are as people. We typically recruit people that we want to hang out with and that are like us and that make us feel comfortable. We don't really recruit people or are in relationship with people that stretch us and they create dissonance for us, right? So what that means is, is that, yes, I love the board members I have now. Yes, I love the people that are serving and that are active, but I cannot rely solely on them to be the next people to recruit our next grouping, right? I've got to search outside of them. It's the same thing we talk about in other spaces when it comes to how we search for, for employees or search for new hires and things like that. We can't just keep using the same networks. Otherwise, we end up with the exact same results, all right? So just a few myths of board development that, that, that we need to kind of combat, and what you're going to hear in the process from here on out is going to speak directly to some a lot of these myths that, that we're talking about. All right? So I'm going to hand you over to Jonathan to take you deeper into the process.
1: We'll be right back. But first, a word from our sponsor.
4: Hello, I'm Paul Miles, president and CEO of We Raise Foundation. We Raise invests in people and organizations that serve at the intersection of poverty, violence and inequality. We start by acknowledging that change begins with we. We are in this together, and it's going to take our love and our compassion and dedication to solve the problems facing communities today. We invite you to be part of that with us and encourage you to visit WeRaise.org to find out how you can become involved and be a partner with WeRaise.
3: So phase one of the of, of the of board development, stage one of board development is planning. Um, I, I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time here because uh, that's not the focus of this workshop. Um, But when I think about developing the kind of board that your organization needs, there's really two kind of twin pillars that we want to talk about. We're going to spend more time on the second one. But the first pillar is you got to have a plan, right? It goes back to that myth of I want people that can help me today. You've got to know where your organization is going. You got to have some kind of idea of where I want to be three to four years down the road, and who do I need on my team to help me get there. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about strategic planning. If you guys uh, have a, a a formal planning process, or if you just use uh, kind of a you know a annual check-in, uh, more of a what we call a strategic outlook. Uh, but you've got to have some kind of plan. Uh, know what it's going to know where you're headed, and then that will help you know what it's going to take to get you there the second twin pillar of this foundation you've got to have some kind of basis for not only how do I assess my current board how do I know where my board strengths and weaknesses are, but also what kind of people do I need to bring in and so this uh, what we want to um, introduce to you today is what we call uh, eight management factors. Uh, Daniel. Remind me, you, you, you know the guy that came up with it. I think of this as Jack's material, but you say <laughs> it even predates Jack. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. So so these eight major factors were researched by a gentleman named Bo Harding. He has since passed. But the research that he was conducting is, what's the general qualities and makeup of any high-performing performing board? So these eight major factors, what he found is, every high-performing board, to some degree, has a makeup of these eight factors. That doesn't mean every board has the same um, percentage of emphasis on each individual factor, right? But in total, these eight factors are represented in high-performing boards.
3: I'm going to introduce you to these eight management factors in very, very generic terms. And part of the process is then you take these terms and you personalize it. You customize it to what that term means to you and your organization. Uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna present them to you as very generic. Uh, at the end when we have we have a QR code with a, a file that you have access to all of our documents. You can actually see the work that Yoke has done, what we've done to personalize these and customize these to our ministry. And so it kind of gives you an idea of how you can do that for yourself, but the first one is uh, organizational expertise. Now, this is think of this as related to your organization. Uh, the definition of this is the degree to which a board member understands your organization's purpose goal and objectives and the way that the organization functions. So, uh, intelligent decision-making and policy formulation is contingent on this factor. So when I, when I think about the kind of board members that I need, I need people who understand yoke, who, who get what we do, who understand what our mission is, how we do things, how we operate, uh, internally, how we interface with the community. That's not everyone has to have that, but that's one thing that I'm looking for. As Daniel said, these are these are things that need to be present in your board. So this is one management factor that we consider. Any questions about this? Again, I'm just going to hit these quickly. You'll have to take time yourself to kind of personalize these, but I, I don't want to uh, skip over it if you have any uh, need, need for clarification. Yes. Uh, so the, the question is, what? At what level do they need to understand and be involved? And the answer is yes. <laughs> All levels. Anybody that comes on the board, I'm going to orient them. I'm going to train them and, and I want to get them involved in the organization. But yeah, we want people who, who know I've got my board chair right now, he's getting ready to rotate off. He was not only a kid in our program, but when he came back in college, he was a mentor in our program. So he's been around Yoke for 20 years. Um, and then I've got another lady. Uh, she's a, a the vice chancellor of uh, diversity and inclusion at the University of Tennessee. She was a Yoke kid uh, in, in one of our programs back 20, 30 years ago. So we've got several cases like that where we've got alumni serving on the board. So those are things that just bring a strength to the to the overall team. So organizational experience or organizational expertise is the first one. The second one is management experience. This think about this in terms of the individual board members organization. So what we're talking about here is how much experience and at what level of experience is the board candidate or board member functioning in their own organization. The definition is the degree to which board members serve in top-level management positions in his or her own organization and is therefore able to constantly strengthen your organization on the basis of sound management principles to which your organization subscribes. This is important for organizational review and to affect changes needed to keep the organization functioning efficiently so I again this document that I'm reading from is in the the box that you'll have access to so don't don't feel like you have to get this down word for word but write down things that that help you remember what we're talking about here as far as uh, management experience I think that's pretty self-explanatory any any notes before we move on number three is community involvement uh, again this is kind of self-explanatory but you want people on your board that are connected in the community and the more connected someone is the more they can leverage those connections for the benefit of your organization and your mission Um, the definition of this is the quality number and diversity of the board members other community interests and involvements This provides linkage to other community organizations and thereby assists the board in identifying priorities that relate to the social needs of your organization. It's beneficial to meeting community needs and affecting collaboration with other agencies in the community and surrounding counties. So thinking about uh, people who are in Rotary Club, right? or uh, Kiwanis Club, people that are, uh, we love to get guys that are connected to their you know, college fraternities or, or their college sororities, uh, people that are involved. Uh, I was going to get to this later, but Matthew, Matthew is on my board, actually. Matthew is one, in our most recent class, but Matthew checks a lot of boxes for this. Um, and Matthew was just named to uh, 100 black men of Knoxville. So that opens up this whole other uh, network of connections to us at, at Yolk's. So community involvement. Is a big one. Um, Number four is recognition and image. Obviously, you want board members on your organization that people in the community recognize positively. That goes without saying right <laughs> you want people you want people who by their status in the community are going to raise a positive image and a positive feeling about your organization um, we we did have when I joined the board probably the most well-known person on our school on our board was a school board member um, very well known in the community uh, very much a lightning rod um, people loved me yeah it wasn't him. Yeah. But, but you know you know exactly who i 'm talking about <laughs> so some of the people loved her, and some of the people just despised her and we We kind of came to the conclusion that, hey, this is not necessarily great that just because she 's recognizable it 's not really necessarily great for our, our organization. Um, number five, obviously, financial impact. I want you to think about financial impact in two ways. When we think about financial impact, we talk about a person's capacity and ability to give, but we also think about their influence over others. A lot of times that goes hand in hand because typically people that are successful and have a lot of money and give a lot of money hang out with other people that have a lot of money and give a lot of money. But There are people, we have people on our board who make a huge financial impact who don't give a lot themselves because they're connected to people. So those are two things you want to think about there. The degree to which um, a board member in generating financial support for your organization, personal wealth of the board member makes uh, personal contribution possible. Even more importantly, it provides a basis for influencing others' support. Yes? No. No. No, every, not, every, not every single board member is going to fit all of these categories. The, the goal is to make sure that all of these categories are, are present in your board. Um, and hopefully you'll find people that check off more than one box. Yeah. People with a capacity to give or influence with people who have the capacity to give. So it often is the same. Often goes hand in hand, but not always. My time is up, so I am moving quickly. I see you, Matthew. Um, Number six is organizational commitment. this is the degree of involvement that a board member has with your organization directly. So how, how committed is this person gonna be to my mission and to my organization? Just a note, this seems to be kind of a counterbalance with that community involvement. Do you want people that are really involved in the community, but people that are really involved often don't have a lot of time because they're doing a 100 different things, right? <laughs> But uh, you want people on your board who are going to be just intensely committed. I've got people on my board who actually serve as after-school volunteers, Um, and they're going to camp and and getting muddy with the kids on the weekends. I mean, it's just incredible. Uh, But this is the degree to which um, board members are involved or their family members are involved in your programs or ministry. Attendance at board meetings is one measure of commitment it's not the only measure of commitment. Uh, it reflects kind of a board member having a personal stake in your mission. Um, number seven is community representation. Uh, and this one, this is one that you're really going to have to work on yourself to figure out what this means for you. What, who are your constituencies? What, what constituencies do you think need to be represented on your, on your board? Um, the definition is the degree to which the board and its members accurately depict the interest and needs of relevant relevant groups or classes of people in the community. So for us, we're an after-school program. We want people on our board who are connected to the to education system, to school boards, to county offices. Uh, we want people that are connected to local churches. We want people that are connected to colleges because we do a lot of recruiting from colleges. We want people that are, you know, obviously we we want our board to look like our community as represented in in ethnic diversity as well. So that's kind of ethnic diversity is uh, this community representation kind of is where we park that as well. And then finally, number eight, this is one we brought up already the specific organizational service. This is where you think about, hey, it would be nice to have a lawyer or, you know, if your organization is acquiring a lot of property, doing housing, I might need somebody who's familiar with real estate. Um, You probably always need a CPA or or a banker, somebody that can help you prepare a financial statement, right? So this is where that specific organizational service comes in. That's not the only thing you consider, but as you see here, it is one of the things that you consider. Uh, The definition, the degree to which the board member provides extra or specialized organizational services and contacts that are helpful to your organization's well-being. And uh, the examples are... Uh, legal skills or uh, accounting skills so that that is a factor it's not the only factor again not one person is going to check off all eight boxes but you want to find people who check off multiple boxes hopefully and make sure that each of these qualities is present in your board of directors
1: hi i'm lorenzo what i love about ccda is being connected to so many amazing leaders across the country Welcome to the CCDA podcast.
0: So so the question is, once you've kind of gotten a sense of what you're looking for in terms of these eight factors, what do you do with it, right? Um, And so what we're saying is that you use these eight factors in two different ways. Um, One is you, you leverage your strategic outlook or your strategic plan, and you begin to weight these factors against this plan. You know, Matthew said, we don't want to just have board members for today, right? With that uh, To go a little bit further with that, does anybody need somebody different to help your organization be what it already is today? No, right? Your organization is what it is with the board that it has, right? So you don't need to recruit new people to help you be what you already are. You're already that, Right. But we also know that we live in a world that's ever-evolving, right? And we need to be changing along with it. Our, our organiza- Change is requisite in our organizations, right? So we need to always be recruiting toward where we're headed. Well, you can't do that unless you have some sense of where you're headed, right? Right? So what you're going to do is take these eight factors, and you're going to consider over the next few years, however long you're looking, three years, To what degree is one factor important over another as I look out over these next three years? Does that make sense what I'm saying? So for instance, right now, um, if my organization was in a major capital project, maybe management experience creeps pretty high on that list, right? Maybe this year it gets a 10, right? Well, maybe three years from now when that project's done, it's like maybe a four or five, right? Because I'm, I'm evolving as an organization, I'm moving on to something else. So that's part of the work with the assessment. And then the other thing that you have to start looking at with the assessment is, now I'm going to assess my whole board, each individual on my board, against these factors, and you're going to get a statistical analysis, okay? So who should be doing this assessment, right? It's really important. So my board, we have 15 members on my board. Not all 15 members are a part of this assessment. So the key people who come together with this assessment is the executive director or the top paid leader, whoever that is, whatever by title, um, the, the chairperson of the board, who, uh, the current one, the uh, board development chair person. So we would recommend that your um, board have a committee or a board development team, and whoever's the head of that team would be a part of this assessment process. And then we always like to bring in the immediate past chair As well because of that institutional and historical knowledge okay Um, and then uh, so those four people um, together are the ones who conduct that assessment Um, so you have to first personalize or contextualize those factors as Jonathan mentioned before you do the assessment Um, you you didn't um, Jonathan didn't read from it but in the stuff we give you there will be a rating guide so for instance that financial impact right that's going to mean different things to different organizations. So like for my organization, our annual budget right now is about a million dollars. When we started 14 years ago, it was $80,000, right? It's grown over the years. Well, for us to, to get a high rating on our board, um, to get like a 10, you have to be able to influence our organization to the tune of $100,000 or more in a given year, Right. And then if you're in the middle range, it's more around like $30,000 to $50,000. And in the lower range, it's $10,000. Depending on your organization, if you're a $10 million a year organization or if you're a $50,000 a year organization, you're going to have to adjust that rating guide. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So that that rating guide will um, speak to all eight factors. Okay. So you'll have the rating guide. Um, Your board matrix, which is the people who are currently on your board. Um, And then, um, like Jonathan said, attendance is a part of what you need to consider. So you need to actually have those records. Hopefully you're keeping those. And I wouldn't just keep them in minutes because then you got to, like, go look through all the past minutes. Like, have a spreadsheet or something where you're tracking that. We also track our board members giving financially to the organization, so I fundamentally believe you cannot be on the board of a non- not-for-profit if you do not contribute financially. I, I'm, not, I'm not saying you have to give the most because everybody has different capacities. But, but you can't go out and say you support and are helping lead this organization if you're not going to put some money on the table, okay? Okay. Um, So we track that. And for us, again, it's not the amount of money. It's that every year you're investing, you're planting, you're sowing seeds. So I would add that to board meeting attendance records is also financial records. Do our board members contributing? So here's, this is a really critical point. Okay. So each of those four people I mentioned, the executive director, current chair, board development chair, and past chair, you need to do this assessment first individually. And the reason is we all know that when we get in a room together, um, we, are, are, um, we don't always bring our whole self because we easily get influenced by the people in the room, right? And so sit by yourself and do the assessment first and, and put your best foot forward in it. And so the mechanics of doing that assessment um, Well, let me say this. Once you've done it individually, then you're going to come together and you're going to get consensus. So you're going to bring all of your assessments together. It'll take about two hours is what I would plan for. You need to be open, forthright, and confidential. This assessment is not about good board members and bad board members. That's not what this is. This is all just about understanding the makeup of who's already on your board and where the gaps are so we can go recruit. That's what this is about. It's not about good, bad, and ugly and all that kind of stuff, okay? So people need to be real honest. It's funny. Sometimes the, the people on my assessment team might be the highest capacity giver. That's not by default. They just might happen to be the board development chair right then or whatever, right? Well, it's interesting seeing them when we talk about the financial impact one, like they don't want to make themselves the 10. It's like, no, you the 10, you know, you're the 10, right? So you just got to own that who you are in the group and be really frank about speaking to what everybody else is. Right. And hopefully between the four of you, you can get some consensus, right? It's not any one person saying this other person is this, but between the four of you, you're getting some consensus, um, Another important thing is you want to rate, not rank them. So you're not necessarily saying one through 10. Let's just do a little ranking. You're really rating them. And what I mean by that is um, the the top person in in each of those eight factors needs to always get a 10. Now, there may be more than one 10, right? So like management experience. Who has the most management experience in our organization? They get a 10 by default. Doesn't mean they're the best manager. It means just in our organization and our board, they get the 10, right? Everybody else then is weighted against them, right? We may not have a nine. Maybe we have an eight now. We have a 10 and an eight. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So it's not ranking one through 10 or whatever. It's really comparing them to each other. That's what you're doing. And we all like that, right? We all like when we get to compare to each other. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Uh, Yes, sir. Correct. The Correct. That's exactly right. So the total board. So not just the four people doing the assessment. Your total board. So like for us, it's all 15 people they're they're assessing, right? And you're weighting them against. You're rating them against each other. Okay. Um, and also, we're not publishing the individual results of this. This is not like every individual board member then gets us a copy of the assessment because that's not the point. The aggregate data is what's important. In the very back, and then. I, I fundamentally think that there's two schools of thought on that and we're not I won't go deeply into it because that's kind of another workshop too but some people really like small boards because they can be more nimble and make quicker decisions um, I personally so ours is fifteen we have seats for seventeen. I like a little bit larger board because you can divide the work better um, when you're too small if you got six or seven everybody's on every committee um, and so that's kind of where we're at I know you all said you had fourteen. Um, so I think there's kind of two different schools of thought on that. I-, I think anything over 21 in a grassroots nonprofit is getting a little crazy. So I, I don't think I would go real big. Yeah, right. So if you're rating someone you, or, or your board members, you could potentially have, like, two people that are 10. Correct. A, okay. I- yeah, so that, that's what I'm saying is in a f- pure ranking, you're trying to go 1 through 10. Right? And that's not what you're doing here. You might have two tens, no eights, three sixes, and a one, right? Because you're comparing to each other. It's not like just top down who's the best and who's the worst, right? Okay, so you're going to compute and analyze the results. Let me show you this on a spreadsheet real quick. Um, so you'll get a copy of this too, and this has the formulas in it, all right? So the, you would have all eight of these factors, and this column right here is the weighting. So what you're saying again is based on your outlook, What's what's the most important over the next three years? So every year, you're kind of updating your strategic outlook, right? So for our organization, in six, for six years, we were in a capital project that highly influenced. Well, last year, we finished that capital project, and our organization is now in this place of going much deeper. So for the first time, um, we've had more of a pastoral board chairman um, for the first time in our organization because of the depth that we're trying to go. And so these factors you're going to weight them differently if you apply them toward your strategic plan all right and then every board member is one in each column this happens to have 10 slots but you have may may have more or less than that what you're going to end up getting then is a bar chart okay so when it's done computing you're going to all the black lines are your desired ratio at over this particular season and then the uh, lighter color is the current right so it's real easy on this to see where the three gaps are community involvement recognition and image and financial impact right so that's what that what that's telling us is over these next three years because that i mean at least for us that's what our strategic plan is over these next three years we're trying to recruit this year toward those gaps (laughs) does that make sense what i'm saying now, next year, when we update our strategic outlook, because we've gotten a little further down the road, maybe financial impact is not even one of the gaps, right? Maybe this next year, it's more organizational expertise. Maybe we're saying, hey, in this season of depth that we're in, we want to make sure we're recruiting more people that have a long history with our organization. That becomes more important over this next season. Does that make sense what I'm saying? So every year, it, re- it starts to help you develop... Who are the types of people that we're looking for over this next season? Because, again, trust me, y'all, you don't need anybody to help you be what you already are. You are that, (laughs) right? We need some different people that are going to help us become what we need to become, right? And that's likely not the people already on your board, and it's nothing against them. They helped you be what you are, and now you need to figure out. That doesn't mean you boot everybody. Y'all know that, right? I'm not talking about like... (laughs) We do this through term limits, right? People rotate and all that kind of stuff. Okay, so you're not just booting people.
4: Hello, I'm Paul Miles, President and CEO of We Raise Foundation. We Raise invests in people and organizations that serve at the intersection of poverty, violence, and inequality. We start by acknowledging that change begins with we. We are in this together, and it's going to take our love and our compassion and dedication to solve the problems facing communities today. We invite you to be part of that with us and encourage you to visit WeRaise.org to find out how you can become involved and be a partner with WeRaise.
3: So we got to put together the team now that's going to go help us find those people and recruit them to the board. So building the nominating and recruiting team. um, And again, you know, we've talked about how the people on your board are are probably just going to recruit more more of the same. So you need to include people from outside the board in this process. Um, I do have on our on our uh, our board development team. We include the board development committee, our board chair, our past chair, but we also try to go outside the board and recruit two or three others from outside the board. Um, they are. We're looking for people to help us with this specific process. We're looking for people who represent the types of people that we need, right? So I'm I'm going for some I'm usually going for some very heavy hitters um, and I'm asking them, hey, would you help us with this process? And I'm very clear. I'm asking you to help me with this two hour meeting, this two to three hour meeting. Help us identify some names, brainstorm some names. And then if we pick the candidates where you're the primary contact, then I might ask you to help me make that contact. Um, other than that, I'm very honest. Listen, I'm not. this is not bait and switch. I'm not going to ask you to help me with this and then try to get you to join the board. I'm asking you to help me with this process. And you'd be amazed at how willing people are to do that. Um, I've had the uh, chair of our county commission has helped us with this. We have uh, uh, Leadership Knoxville. I don't know how many of you have leadership organizations in your cities, but the CEO of Leadership Knoxville helped us with this process. Uh, we had the uh, uh, Vice Chancellor for Diversity and Engagement at University of Tennessee helped us with this process. Um, we, we get some very big names to help us with this process because it's, uh, it's such an easy ask. We prepare for the meeting um, by, I keep getting ahead of myself here, meeting prep. Um, I want to make sure that those people who have agreed to serve on this nominating and recruiting team, I want to make sure they have all the information that they need. So I'm sending them here's the work that we've done on the strategic outlook. Uh, Here's the assessment that we've done. I'll send them the bar graph so they can see. I'll send them a profile so they can see the kinds of people that we're looking for. That way they can go ahead and be thinking uh, about names. Usually when people come to this meeting, they come with four or five have names already in their head that, that, that they think meet the criteria that we're looking to meet. Um, I send them an agenda for the meeting so they know exactly how long it's going to take, what we're going to talk about, and then I'll send them a calendar of the process. And we'll talk about that. But that calendar really starts, we start at the end and work back. So for us, our board year runs from April 1st to March 30th. Uh, And so I want new board members at that April 1st board meeting. That means I've got to vote to approve them at the March board meeting, which means I need to start recruiting them four to six weeks ahead of that because it's going to take that much time, but I make sure they have that uh, all that stuff when they come into the meeting. When you come into the meeting and and set the meeting. Um it 's important to know what you 're shooting for again uh, we have typically we we don't try to recruit more than about four new board members a year, and like I said when we started our board was really small so we've we've continued as we 've let old members rotate off we typically try to record re, recruit four new board members every year to to get four good candidates uh, you probably will need to have 10 to 12 in your pool uh and to get 10 to 12 in your pool you need to have probably 30 names on the board so that's the first thing we do when we come into this meeting we get around the table uh we we go through the process again here's what we need here's what we're looking for who's got names and then we just start putting names on the board and and it's indiscriminate um People might say, I've got four names I want to give you, and this is what they do. Here's this person. He works for this bank, or here's this guy. He's a pastor at this church. We don't push back. We don't argue about it. We're not asking for a lot of details. We're really just gathering names, and we do that until we have about 30 to 35 names on the board. Then we go through that list again. We come back to that list and say, all right, now that we've got this name, these names on the board, who from this list really jumps out at you? Who do you think really should be a priority? And this this process is amazingly smooth. It it just seems to be second nature. People see the names. They know people. I see some, oh, that's a great idea. I didn't think of him. Yeah, that person would be great. We, we just start underlining names on the board. We'll move those uh, 10 to 12 names over to another board. We'll go through it again. This is our third time now. We've got 10 to 12 names that we think are really good candidates that really meet the criteria. They're really who we're looking for. Who's number one? Who would be the home run on this list? And we actually will go back and put them in order of priority, one through 12. Uh, Sometimes we might have 4A and 4B where you say, this person's great and, and this person's great. You probably don't need both of them because they're kind of the same, but if you don't get him, I would definitely go for him. Okay, we'll make that 4A and 4B. Um, so we've, we've gone through. We, we're actually ordering them in priority, and then we go back through again and we say, okay, who's the best person to contact this person and make this ask? um and we go back and we put initials by all those names so as the as the uh executive director I know who we're going for and I know who's going to reach out to them and then for example if we say we're looking for four new board members this year i can leave this meeting as soon as you leave this room those first four people are free to make that phone call um and what I usually say as a board member, I say, or as an executive director, I say, listen, if I can help you with this, you let me know. Uh, this is to my nominating recruiting team. I tell them, let me know. If you want to just call, if you want to have lunch, I think – in. Uh, asks always are better in person. It's harder to say no in person. We know that, right? Um, but sometimes it can be a phone call. Sometimes it could be a lunch. It might take three weeks to get on somebody's schedule. So maybe a phone call is the best you can do. Very rarely in, in five years of doing this has a board has a, a recruiting, team member called me and said, Hey, can you meet with this guy? Cause he's asking questions that I don't know the answers to. Typically it goes very easy because if president CEO of home federal bank is calling you and saying, Hey, I want you to serve on the board of yoke. You're going to say yes. Right. I'll ask questions later. <laughs> <clears throat> I will try to meet with all those people before they, before they make that commitment to make sure that, that they know what they're getting into. But my point is that when you engage high-level people in this process, it makes it,
4: it makes it go a whole lot smoother. It's not me asking, it's them.
2: I know there's
0: lots of questions, and we want to give you lots of time to answer those, so I'm going to rock this part out really fast. Um, The thing I'll say is as we've been using this process and as a founder of an organization, I would say 90% of the board members we recruit now I have no prior relationship with me personally that's a very healthy thing because there was a season in our organization where the life of it was dependent on my network right um and it does not need to be that that right and so uh, you know jonathan talked about you know hey i just let him go and do the recruitment the reason he can do that and have confidence in that is because all the work that already happened okay because by the time you get to making that ask you know who you want you know they fit the mold all the things and it elevates the ask. When you get to that person, they if you've done your work right, they see all the work that it took to get to them and they're more eager to say yes because they see their fit in the organization instead of oh yeah, we were meeting around coffee and like oh, you know, we need to we need to ask Susan and and that's why we asked you, right? So does that make sense what I'm saying you're elevating the ask?
3: Yeah. yeah. Something you said reminded me of something I was going to say Exact same experience. For us, what I've noticed is this recruiting process is taking a little bit longer every year because we're getting higher and higher capacity leaders. And when you get higher and higher capacity leaders, their calendars are more full. They're harder to get in touch with. They're harder to set meetings with. Uh, but we're getting better and better people on the board. Same experience, most of whom uh, I didn't have prior knowledge of. So.
0: Okay, so I'm going to do 10 minutes in two minutes. You ready? All right. So when you're on board, make sure you have a good board development job description. There will be some examples in the things. The thing I feel like people always want to know is, what's the term limits? Do I need to give money? What's the meeting schedule? But you also need to think about qualifications and experiences and things like that. But make sure you're answering those big questions, too, because people want to know that. Um, And also, don't meet your people to death. I know our rhythm has been, once every other month, has been really healthy over the last 10 years um, because... The other thing is the work does not get done in the meetings, and I'll talk about that in just a second. You need to orient them. So Jonathan meets with them before they come on the board. I know orientations, we like to do them all together with the whole class that's coming on. We want to orient all three, four, five, however many um, at the same time orientation should not be a one-time thing though our orientation happens over three months you're going to come to like a traditional kind of orientation get the board binder hear all the stuff but you're going to read two books you're going to go to a cost of poverty experience you're going to um um, you're going to work through our um board teams and try to assess where you're going to specifically plug in right so it's kind of a it's a it's drawn out longer because orientation is not just a one-time event Okay, so then engaging, all the work on our board happens in teams. Again, that's why I don't like a board of six to seven because – you can't divide the work enough, right? We happen to have five teams on our board, um, and a part of this process of orienting is trying to figure out where people are going to plug in. If you're on our board, you have to serve on at least one team. You don't get just come to the big board meetings and sit the, at the, the big girl table, right? Like, you got to do the work and get into it uh, because the work doesn't happen in the board meetings. That's where we make decisions and all that kind of stuff, but the work's already happened. So you got to be at work. Um, and please do this. When you're making these recruitments, do not minimize the ask. Don't say, oh, it doesn't take a whole lot. You just meet once every other month and all that kind of stuff. No, you tell them what they're getting into uh, because I will tell you, if you minimize the ask, that's what you're going to get. So, all right. So networking, leverage your board networks. Um, I like to set a rhythm of, I meet with my um, board members uh, one-on-one over lunch. I do this once every couple weeks with different board members outside of a regular meeting. Right, that's so I can hear about what's going on in their life, um, hear about what where they what they're getting involved in, what they're passionate about, right? And it's not just about the specific work of the organization. Fundraising, um, we talked about this a little bit. I don't think every board member should be able to ask, be asked to make a specific direct ask. And here's the reason why: some people suck at it. Okay, that doesn't mean they can't be a good board member though. They need to add to the financial bottom line of your organization, but there's lots of ways to do that without making direct ask. Okay, so just
2: alleviate the pressure, figure out who's good at it. All right. So just a couple of uh, kind of recap things, and then we're going to take a bunch of questions, and and I'm going to help facilitate that process if that's okay. So, but I love this uh, this image here of how this thing is an ongoing thing, and uh, and so just. Keep that in mind, if you think of it as a cycle, then you don't ever stop doing it, right? If you think of it as kind of linear, and just we start the process and end the process every year, then you're gonna, it's gonna feel that way as you do it. But if you think of it as a cycle, then these things constantly lead uh, back to each other. So, if keys to a flourishing ber- board, based on what we've talked about today. Board development is an ongoing cyclical process. See the previous slide. Create continuity in your, in your board and for your organization by electing officers, setting terms, establishing rotation. Um, as was mentioned earlier, we're not offering you a, a set template on what that looks like, but you've got to think through that in terms of what you do. If you've got organizations that have long term goals, then your board might need to have longer terms. So if there's things that, are, if, you know, but if you were on somebody like Yoke that, that, that works on a school year cycle, would have you keep that in mind in terms of um, the way you're thinking about your term limits and the way you think about people rotating on and off. And then finally diversity and inclusion has got to be we could have done a whole seminar on just this piece of it but i think you're at ccda so i tend to think you kind of already uh value the fact that diversity and inclusion is important uh, think of diversity and inclusion as a river that runs through the whole process make sure you consider gender and age as well as ethnicity and, and one thing i want to add to this as as jonathan mentioned i I'm, was part of the newest class of board members for his uh, organization it has been the most enjoyable experience for me so what i want to say even as you're as you're selecting board members, think about the fact that you're actually inviting the, them into something that's going to add value for them. You're not just inviting them. Into, it's the same way if you've ever done fundraising before. You're like, we want to make sure you know that, you're, that giving is a It's a blessing for you to be able to give. It took. I worked for InterVarsity for a number of years. It took me forever to get to that place of believing that because I was terrible at fundraising. But we say it all the time. It's a blessing for you to be able to support what I'm doing. In the same manner, it's a blessing for you to invite somebody to be a part of what you're doing. If you really, really love your board and you really love your organization, then you should be excited to invite people to walk alongside you with that. And so for me, with Yoke, which is a ministry I'm familiar with, actually, before I was on the board, I preached at some of their uh, conferences in the weekend. Jonathan got me out in the woods in the middle of nowhere, getting muddy and stuff. But but it went well. I love Jesus. I love children. So just... Keep in mind that as you're doing this, you're inviting them into something that's a blessing for them as well, not just what you're getting from them. Amen. So keep that in mind as the process as well.
1: And thank you for listening. Big thanks to Jonathan Haskell, Matthew Best, and Daniel Watson on helping us learn what we need to do to keep our board engaged for our organization's needs. Check the website, ccda.org, and the blog section for additional tools that were talked about during the session. You can also find it in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the CCDA podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This podcast is produced by Dan Portnoy in association with Scott Overbeck.